0: This is The Uprising, starring Steve Alquist. I'm your host, Greg Brailsford. Today, we discuss the latest bills at the State House and a conversation with Senator Bridget Valverde on a controversial abortion decision at the State House. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have an awesome show to, for you today. We have uh, Senator Bridget Valverde on to talk about a really unusual decision this week in which the Senate voted that abortion was not related to health care. Go figure. Steve, <laughs> what do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, it was um, really, well, you said it was unexpected or like um, uh, it was really unfortunate, right? Not necessarily unexpected because Perhaps, yes. the Senate for decades has arranged the House, I mean, the Senate Judiciary Committee to be fervently anti abortion, fervently anti choice. And the way they do this is they stack it with right wing Democrats and Republicans who oppose abortion. They'll put a few, you know, pro. Um, choice people on the, the committee and to make it look like it's balanced, but it's always balanced to like basically five to four or whatever the numbers are. Right. It's always one more than you need. So this works perfectly at the Senate because it kept any abortion bills from ever coming out of committee for decades, really. And it worked two years ago too well because two years ago they passed the Reproductive Privacy Act, which codified Roe v. Wade into Rhode Island state law. Well, they couldn't get it out of that committee. The Senate had promised they would bring it to the floor for a fair vote, but since they couldn't get it out of committee, what's going on? They can't do, what, what can they do, right? So they, uh, they're they trying to figure out how to get it out of committee. They finally had to transfer it from judiciary to health and human services, and then it could come out of committee and get, because abortion is a health care issue, not a criminal justice of issue. Of course,
0: this seems obvious to me, and
1: it's obvious to everybody, except for people who want to make sure that the right to abortion is not, it, it won't, won't come to fruition, right? It will not be. In, now, here we are two years later. We have Roe v. Wade codified through Rhode Island state law. Bridget Valverde brings a bill into the Senate that says, we want to be able to subsidize women's health care so they can access abortion if they don't have a lot of money. This would mean Medicaid payments. Uh, that bill is sent to House Judiciary. It's a Medicaid bill dealing with abortion. Clearly, it's healthcare, and clearly, he sent it to Judiciary. So she steps up, she objects to this in the um, on on the Senate floor.
0: And this video is available on upriseri.com. Yeah. You can check out the video. We posted it yesterday, I believe.
1: And it's hard to just estimate how big a deal this was, right? Because this like set the whole Senate into a tizzy. Uh, the Mary Ellen Goodwin, the majority whip, she literally. Like, oh, 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 well, can we hold it off for like 25 minutes? You know, we have to get through with all these other things first. Then we'll come back to them. (laughs) And 25 minutes later, they come back to it. She restates her objection. But I think by now, now, let me
0: ask you this, yeah. Steve, did they actually come back to it? Because it seemed like, you know, v- watching the videos, it seemed like she just went up there again to have yeah. to re-raise it and they didn't actually get back to her.
1: Well, they did not. Right. She had to go back and re-raise it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So let's, let's just call out the Senate president for what it was. You, you made a commitment, uh, you know, to, to get back to this woman and you did not do that.
1: But it's hard to, set, to say within the timing of the way that goes, whether he never intended to get back to it or not. I think if she had sat in her seat, you're right. She might. It might not have. Uh, it might never have happened.
0: And here to discuss what went down at the state house about this whole abortion bill is Senator Bridget Valverde from District Thirty Five, representing East Greenwich, North Kingston, South Kingston, and Narragansett.
1: Senator, how are you? I'm fine, thank
2: you. How are you doing?
1: Good, good. Pleasure to have you on. Hi, Senator. This is Steve. Hello. Hey. Hi. Thank Steve. you so much for coming on. I appreciate it a lot.
2: No problem.
1: So I have a lot of questions. So, can you tell me in your words what what happened on Tuesday at the Senate when you went to make your objection?
2: Um, sure. So, um, um, as you know, I I introduced this bill, the Equality and Abortion Coverage Act, to you know close the gaps in coverage um, that we have in our Rhode Island state law um, for for abortion care. Um, you know, right now in our state law, we've got um, in um, exclusion um, for uh, state employee health insurance plans from covering abortion and, um, you know, federal law mandates that Medicaid, federal Medicaid dollars not be used for abortion care as well. So we're trying to, you know, expand coverage uh, for this uh, needed service. And so, um, you know, when I, um, before I introduced the bill, you know, I requested that it be referred to the Health and Human Services Committee, um, of which I am the vice chair, and because it is a bill about health care. it only deals with um, parts of our general laws that um, deal with health insurance and Medicaid. Um, so when that didn't happen, you know, I was, I, you know, asked to have it moved, and, um, you know, did not get satisfaction there. So I decided, so I, you know, just, um, you know, kind of last minute looked at our rules to see if there was anything I could do, and came across this. This section of our Senate rules that said that I could object um, on the first or second day after the introduction of a bill, and so that's what I did. Hmm. And I, you know, went up and entered a simple objection um, to the committee referral for my bill.
1: And uh, I thought the reaction to it that was uh, really kind of amazing because it looked like a little bit of a panic went through the leadership at that point. There's uh, a nice shot on Capital TV. Of the majority whip and the majority leader, kind of looking like deer in the headlights, because I don't—they didn't know this was coming, right?
2: No, they did not. So I have you know, a question. And it wasn't, and it was, you know—it wasn't my intention to, you know, to cause a stir, make a scene. I really, my, you know, my intention with making that motion was to just reassign my bill.
1: Right? Um, do you think when uh, they asked for that, you went up, you you and you introduced your you major objection. And then uh, Mm -hmm. they asked that you hold off um, your objection until after they got through uh, a bunch of other like resolutions and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Then 25 minutes later, you came back and you reintroduced your objection. Do you think in that 25 minutes um, time was spent whipping votes against your objection?
2: I mean, yes, I assume so.
1: Yeah. So because I thought that too, and I originally had included that in my article, the idea that majority whip says, oh, can you wait and hold? And then during that 25 minutes where all these different resolutions are being read and um, being introduced, that she would then be able to like, make sure that she had the votes um, to defeat the objection. That, that was something that occurred to me, but I didn't want to include that mm-hmm. as an absolute. But I do think it's worth mm-hmm. considering if that was like a kind of a procedural move to keep it from happening. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked yeah, like I to mean, me, I too. Don't,
2: I don't have any confirmation of that, but, right. uh, you know, I mean, yes, they had time.
1: Right. So then it was um, the, it came up the issue whether or not it was a debatable motion in the sense that can the uh, Senate actually engage in talk about the merits of your objection? And the merits of mm-hmm. your objection would be that the bill properly belongs not in judiciary, which deals with criminal codes and criminal conduct mm-hmm. more than or does it belong in HHS, which deals with healthcare issues? Um, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be talking about the merits of the bill per se, it would just be saying whether or not a bill on abortion is properly within one committee or the other. Mm-hmm. Ultimately it was decided that it was not a debatable motion, but do you know if in the rules, like, have you talked to any parliamentarians or anybody who said it's hundred percent definite that it was a debatable motion or not?
2: Um, no, I have not. And, yeah. you know, and I'm not, I'm not certainly not an expert on, on uh, Mason's rules, uh, right. which is, you know, the the rules that we follow. Um, so, you know, I'm not entirely sure.
1: Right. No, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. And so what are yeah. your, what are your thoughts on it? Because a lot now, it, now and I want to put you on the spot because I know this is like, mm-hmm. it can be delicate politically here and I don't want you to make, you don't have to like talk down anybody who mm-hmm. voted either way, but yeah. I did notice that the vote was very, very close and, mm-hmm there were some votes that had gone the other way. I mean, it was easily... Here's the thing. You had um, enough sponsors of this bill that if it went to the floor right now, it would pass. mm mm-hmm. And yet, this simple motion was defeated. Do you have a sense of why it was defeated, why this happened?
2: You know, I, I, I don't. I, You know, everyone has their own motivations for voting the way they do. You know, I can only speak to, you know, my, my own um, actions. Um, I... You know, do I I certainly wish that, that you know, more of my colleagues had supported uh, my objection. Um, but, you know, you'd have to ask them, you know, why they didn't.
1: Right, right. No, no. And I I just want to say I, mm-hmm. I did reach out to yeah. um, a bunch of legislators who voted um, and nobody got back to me and no one agreed to be on the show, which I thought was mm-hmm. a little sad. So thank you for coming on doubly now. Yeah. Because, um,
2: yeah.
1: What, um, I think that, you know, the thing- so, what do you think the status of your bill is you think you um, it's going to go into uh, judiciary and I know there'll be a fight for it what, what, what what's your reading on it do you think the bill has a good shot of passing
2: um, you know I mean the um, I think its it definitely has a good shot at passing if it gets to the floor.
1: Um, You
2: know, now, as you know, the makeup of the judiciary committee is, um, is not, um, you know, favorable. Um, You know, it doesn't have a pro-choice majority. So um, it will have a difficult path through, uh, through judiciary for sure. Um, You know, as we saw in 2019, the reproductive privacy act, you know, had, um, you know, faced similar challenges in Senate judiciary and was ultimately, uh, transferred to the health and human services committee to be brought to the floor. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, a similar thing may happen. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I won't stop fighting for it. You know, advocates won't stop fighting for it. It's a, a bill that's really important to, um, you know, advancing more ac- equitable access to a necessary healthcare service in Rhode Island.
0: Senator, in your in your years in the Senate so far, have you noticed a pattern where bills that leadership absolutely wants to be defeated are assigned to judiciary judiciary when they should not be assigned to judiciary, or does this seem to be just abortion related bills that this happens to?
2: Um, you know, I, I haven't I haven't noticed any particular pattern with um, bills. You know, in, in my time in the um, in the Senate, there have only been two abortion bills, and they have both been assigned to a judiciary. Whether or not you can say that's a pattern, I'm not sure. Right.
1: Um, so your bill, like you said, um, deals with equity. Um, I, I want to bring up something that uh, somebody said to me on Facebook, which is a bad place to go, but it wasn't somebody who normally, um, whose opinion I would normally just like uh, put aside. And this person said mm-hmm. that you raised your objection in, in interrupting a Black Lives Matter or a, a Black History Month celebration. Um, and said that, um, and I don't want to, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was like, you're a rich white mm-hmm. woman um, interrupting a presentation on black history. Um, and then, um, and I just want to like ask you, is that your take on what happened? Cause I didn't see that, but I just wanted to ask you um, what you thought
2: no absolutely not um, I, I mean obviously we had we were going to have a Black History Month resolution read and we had had a, a lovely performance at the you know at the opening of our session for the day um, and but you know the, the you know the order of the business that we do in the Senate is prescribed in our rules mm-hmm. and the Senate president called for new business and I had new business and so okay. I lit my light and I was recognized and I went down to the lectern to make my motion, um, you know, the, the notion that I was interrupting anything is just flat out incorrect.
1: Right, I, and I wanna say that I actually talked to, the pers- um, to Senator Tiara Mack, who was organizing that Black History Month celebration. She told me that that in no way happened. And so I just mm-hmm. wanna like, but, I, but that is out there and I think it's a terrible thing to be doing because to my mind, and I'm not gonna put this on you, but to my mind, that vote itself, was a vote against equity, against racial equity in uh, healthcare, and so mm-hmm. it, if there was a racial issue yeah. going on, that that vote was the racial issue.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do, I, you know, hearing that somebody is making that accusation against me is is quite offensive, really.
1: I I, I agree. Thank you. Um, I think I've talked this out. Is there anything else I should have asked about this?
2: Um, hmm, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I know that's Um, a hard question, but I always like to ask that question again, just in case I'm missing some really blatantly obvious thing that because of I'm I'm blind to it, I'm not seeing. So, but if there isn't, that's great too. Well, let
0: me ask you this, Senator. Uh, We always like to do calls to action here on the uprising. What can our listeners do who are in support of your, of your bill, of your motion to move this? What can they do in terms of uh, direct action, whether it be, you know, contacting senators, what recommendation do you have for them?
2: Sure. So, I mean, I think it's always helpful to, um, um, you know, get everyone, get in touch with their own legislators, you know, both on the Senate side and on the house side, you know, Rep, uh Liana Kassar is the um, is she's the uh, sponsor in the house and has uh, 26 co sponsors. Um, so I think it's helpful for people to maybe ask others to j- sign on to her bill so that she can gain a majority of co sponsors as well. Um, and, and yeah, and then, you know, ask for, ask for it to be, we can continue asking for it to be moved to health and human services. You know, that window has not closed. Um, you know, the chair of the judiciary committee does still, you know, have that power to do that. Um, so I just encouraging senators to, to support this bill.
0: So when does that window close? Like how long do people have to really try pushing their senators and representatives to get this going?
2: Um, I mean, we the bill has not been scheduled for a, a hearing yet. Um, And I and I don't know when that uh, when it will get a hearing. Um, And so I think the you know, we saw we saw with the Reproductive Privacy Act that that window was open right up until the end to have it transferred. Um, You know, the the hearing had already taken place in the Judiciary Committee um, when uh, Senator Lynch Prada transferred it to Health and Human Services. So, you know, I think that the. You know, the window doesn't close until the bill is defeated.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. So for our listeners, you know, they want to get behind this. Uh, definitely contact your senator representative. Let, men, let them know. Look at how they voted, first of all, because the vote's out there. Um, we have it on Uprise RI. Um, almost almost all, I believe, of the progressives voted uh, to move it. And uh, those that are in the moderate-slash-conservative circles uh, chose to, to uh, vote no to, uh, to keep it in judiciary inexplicably. I still don't understand how anyone could possibly classify an abortion bill as judiciary.
1: Like it's been, that's been the, that's been what it is. That's the precedent there forever. Um, can I mm-hmm. ask one yeah. more and uh, entirely different question? And then we'll, I promise I'll let you go. Yep. Um, the pyrolysis plant um, going to East Greenwich. Mm. Um, yes. Originally I wanted to have you on this week just to talk about that, but the Senate thing just kind of turned it in. But um, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about that plant?
2: Sure. So I think that, So you know we're talking about this uh, Medrecycler RI um, plant that is proposed to be um, to be put on in a a business park Mm -hmm. on uh, Division Road um, in West Warwick, right on the East Greenwich line, and um, you know it's a it is a you know talking to kind of. Environmental experts on the subject. They are, you know, very concerned about this kind of, um, you know, so called technology, you know, taking hold in our state um, and anywhere across the country. It is a, um, you know, it's essentially burning plastics um, and it is being greenwashed, you know, as a renewable energy source when, you know, no stretch of, you know, your imagination can you call it renewable energy. Right. Um, so um, the surrounding communities are quite concerned about it. Um, obviously it's an, you know, a untested technology, especially for you know, it's never been used um, in the United States for, um, for, you know, essentially burning medical waste, which is what is being proposed here. Right. Um, and it is, they want to site it right next to a daycare center, um, you know, right across the street from new England tech. And, uh, so the surrounding communities are really concerned about emissions about, you know, possibly the you know, toxins, um, you know, entering our air and water and, you know, rightfully so. So I am concerned as well, you know, I, along with, um, you know, my counterpart in the house who represents East Greenwich, um, Justine Caldwell, you know, we have publicly opposed it along with, um, uh, Representative Serpa, and, um, you know, uh, there is a public hearing coming up on March 15th yep. um, with DEM, where the public can enter public comments and, um, and you know, voice their objections, but I would encourage everyone to do so. Um, and then the, the public comment period is open until April 14th, you know, at which point I believe DEM has uh, 90 days to issue a final ruling on their um uh their uh waste uh, uh, waste treatment license yeah
1: good uh, so. i hope to talk about this more in the future i'll be at the 15th meeting or watching the 15th meeting on zoom anyway yeah and um i'll I'm, be talking about this more and we'll talk about what powers dem has to actually stop this if they do and uh
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: thank you for your time i really really appreciate it
2: yep absolutely anytime take care Thank she you.
0: is Senator Bridget Valverde, District 35. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great week.
2: Thank you, too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah.
1: So uh, I think the – I just want to say that um, in the of, in, to be fair, I reached out to four of the senators who uh, voted against moving this bill who in, were, in fact, endorsed by Planned Parenthood. And none of those senators responded to the email or to the Twitter message I sent them, and I also sent it to two different emails. I sent it to their official email, and I also sent it to their private emails that they use for their campaign purposes, and not one of them replied. And that would be, uh, and I don't want to get this wrong, uh, Senator Coyne, Senator Oyer, Senator Pearson, and Senator Lawson. Um, They were all basically uh, endorsed by Planned Parenthood. They voted against the idea that abortion is health care, in this, and they haven't, and I, I've reached out and I asked what was the basis of this vote, and I haven't really seen any response.
0: Yeah, and I, I tweeted my senator uh, Ryan Pearson as well. No response on Twitter. He doesn't usually respond on Twitter. He's one of those people that doesn't want to put himself out there, uh, and that's fine. So uh, my my wife actually uh, called him and left a message and said, uh, you know, I'd like to know why you voted that abortion is not health care. I wanted you to explain to me, as your constituent, why. This is the case and no response, of yeah. course. So it's one thing to, to vote nonsense. Let's just be honest. It's one thing to vote nonsense, which is what you did if you voted that this bill should not be under Health and Human Services, okay? You voted for nonsense. You, you, you rigged a vote, okay? That's what you did. You knew that this bill would get passed under HHS, so you decided, oh, let's rig it and put it under judiciary so it doesn't get passed.
1: And, and I and here's That's the not
0: democracy. Right.
1: Right. And here's the thing. Maybe they made this vote because they're all the heads of various committees and they all think, well, wait a minute, I have to hold on to my power here. I can't go against the Senate president. So I'm going to make this vote and it'll be the politically smart move. And then I'll work hard to get the bill passed out of judiciary, whatever. But I do want to point out that Senator Cano and Senator Miller, who also head up important committees, both voted to move the bill. Yes,
0: they did. I noticed that as well.
1: Right? And so at least two, maybe three, I think there's another one, and I'm sorry I'm forgetting your name because you're also really great, <laughs> voted the right way despite their high, rank, high rankings in the uh, uh, current leadership, right? Yep. So it wasn't necessary. And in fact, I think if all, if these four had done that, it would have been moved, but he wasn't going to seek retribution against all of them. And if he had, guess what? We'll, we'll deal with that too. I mean, the public would have been on your side.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and, I, and I accuse my senator of this all the time because you look at the votes that uh, Senator Pearson makes and they seem to go hand in hand with whatever Senator Ruggiero mm-hmm. wants them to vote. Right. And he was late to vote. I don't know if you can read anything into this, but if you look at the board and see like when people vote, a lot of the votes were really quick. Uh, senator Pearson's vote was like right at the end. They were like, all right, everyone, you're done. Like, yeah. and his vote came up. No. So I don't know if to read into that as to whether, you know, he just couldn't figure out how to click his button or he was on the fence about it or whatever. But Or he could
1: have been away from the seat, walking back to the seat, whatever. Who, know, who knows why these things happen? It's really hard. If you're in the room, you'll see that every time there's a vote call, everybody runs for their seats because there's all these casual conversations happening in the aisles and stuff. And then, it, but you're right. I mean, was it a long, hard decision? And if so, why not cop to that talk? Because yeah. I think we want to see the human side of these equations, right? We don't want senators who are robots. We want senators who really agonize about their decisions. Yeah, and I also want to say that I think there's a lot of outrage right now because I haven't talked to anybody except for that one person on Facebook who has come to me and said tried to justify that vote right. was you know try you know was tried to say hey this what that vote was was right or good or that the people who voted against it weren't making a bad vote. At this point, I think the best thing to do would be for. Uh, Senator Coyne, who chairs the judiciary, to say, I want to move this bill to HHS, right? I want to transfer the bill. I'm, and also to apologize for a vote. People make bad votes. You know, I was caught up in a moment. It was a very political thing. I understand it was the wrong thing to do. And I'm sorry. And you, know, you know what? Everybody's going to accept that because she was, two years ago, one of the leaders who helped get the uh, RPA put through, right? Same for Senator Dawn Oyer. She was one of the people who worked really hard behind the scenes to do this. Even Senator Pearson worked and and supported that bill. He he got his. They do. They know what the right side of this issue is. And I think these are the people who can make the right decisions. I really do. But you know, despite any other differences that we might have with any other policy on this issue, I know we have the same. We're, we're the same thing. Their names are on that bill as sponsors. They know what the right thing to do is, and it's to break this cycle of a Senate that is constantly going to put. Women's issues and women's health on the back burner, or even just ignore it. I, I, I just that's all I want to say. I think that that's, this bill needs to be moved.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, it's 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 interesting to try and figure out the motivation for why people vote this the way they do, because often it's not uh, their conscience. You know, it's clearly not their conscience. If you're sponsoring a bill and then you you vote no, let's not move it to uh, a committee that's going to pass it. That's confusing. That that's that sends a lot of mixed signals and voters don't understand that stuff. And they just take it as you're shady. That's that's how they take it. You know, when right. people see these votes, they say shady, you know, and when you know, I reach out to Senator Pearson and, you know, I, I say, listen, buddy, I've told him this before. I want to support you. OK, I'm not right. against politicians. I'm not against my own state senator, representative or whatnot. But you keep making decisions that are not in your constituents best interest that are not supported by the majority of your constituents. And you have no explanation for why you do it. Like, just be a man in one, one way or the other. Just either say, I'm going to vote weirdo and then explain why, or vote vote with your constituents. Vote for the people. Vote for what is going to progress uh, our state and, and, and give equal rights, uh, not equal rights in this case, but, but rights to yeah. women uh, to, to own their bodies and do whatever they feel is necessary uh, with their health. Yeah. And it's, and it's just it's not it's not a man's position to have any say in this at all. It's, None.
1: It's a, you know, it, it it is his job to vote. It is his job to make good decisions. And you know something we know, you know, this is an equity issue, right? We know that right now there are women in a state who cannot afford to access the RPA two years ago made sure that every basically woman of means in a state could basically access abortion coverage what. This bill would have done was made sure that it doesn't matter if you're of means, that you would have the right to access this medical care when you need it.
0: And this also includes like state state employees. State employees. State
1: employees who are not covered by a private plan, they were prohibited
0: from having abortion care covered by – uh, their health plan.
1: And when we talk about state employees, we're talking about um, professors at our state colleges.
0: Oh, yeah. Anyone that's employed by the state, right. not just these, you know, what, what many people will consider useless jobs at the state house, you know, fetching coffee and whatnot. No, we mean like, you know, people right. that are really doing jobs, like, right. you know, that are that are working for the people of the state, whether it be an education uh, or state government or whatever.
1: And they're paying out of pocket. Like, they basically, if they want to get abortion coverage, they have to pay out of pocket extra for another health plan on their own. So they basically you know, and I do know that at least of one story, um, where a woman, um, had no intention of having an abortion and she was a state employee and she wanted her kids. So she never got insurance. And then she has a problem with her pregnancy and she has to have a very expensive procedure late in her, um, to have, you know, basically. And because it was considered to be abortion coverage, she'd had no insurance for it. And it was like, $10,000 $10,000 or more that she had ended up paying for a hospital stay, for the operation, for everything else. That should have been covered by her insurance. The state should have covered that, right? She was a state employee and like, and it's not. And, and so here, here's where it cer- certainly is um, a health issue. She didn't have the money. It was, it was a terrible, it could have been a terrible, terrible tragedy. And in fact, honestly, when you're out thousands and thousands of dollars in medical bills, when you have a good paying job and healthcare, you got to wonder what is going on here? Well, you know, it, it becomes an equity issue there too. And
0: I'll so. never I'll never understand the motivation behind conservative legislators voting against abortion stuff. Like I don't get it. Do you really think like okay, you're religious. Do you really think you're going to get brownie points in heaven for voting against abortion bills? Do you think that that's the 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 deal breaker between going to heaven if that's what you're expecting and not going to heaven is that the deal breaker right there voting for abortion bills because man that's it. That's an interesting criteria. I'll, I'll say that. So I think that's. You know,
1: uh, I think that's exactly what they think.
0: Is it? Is it that? Is it? Is it just wanting to control women and putting women in their place and saying no? I'll. I'll determine what you can do and not do with your body. Because yeah. because men, there are men that, that think like that. Absolutely. Oh, I. I, I, I know I, them. I Agree.
1: And I think that like the religious beliefs absolutely play into that too. That you have these convenient religious beliefs that allow you to be the kind of man who can say no. But don't forget, one of the most outspoken. Um, opponents of abortion in the Senate is a woman and that's uh, Jessica D. La Cruz, um, Senator from Barville. Yep. Right. So, you know, she's very conservative. She's very, um, right wing and Republican, whatever, but the pr- she's not the problem, right? Her votes, her ideas are not the problem. The Problem is the Democrats there who like, and that's to all three of the Senate leadership are Democrats and they are anti-abortion Democrats who, you know, sometimes do other good bills, I mean, Michael McCaffrey does a lot of justice reform bills, which I really kind of like, Senate leader, uh, majority leader. I like a lot of his bills. I would love to be able to say I like what he does. I just can't because on this issue and some other issues, he's just overtly conservative and really, really bad and hurting women. Well, you know, I mean, libertarians tend to, to, to vote that way. They tend to be
0: for criminal justice reform. Mm hmm and against everything else right so when you're a quote-unquote democrat and you vote that way you're not a democrat like just mike just come out and just be a republican all right we all know you're a republican be a republican you support republican initiatives and ideology and policy just be a republican See but then he would just win be
1: in, then he'd be in the minority party and he wouldn't have the power he has right, and that's just right. Why so that's have or his... lie. and that's what a
0: lot of them do and we talk about this quite often but right. so many of the democratic legislators in our state house, are not Democrats at all whatsoever. They just know that they can't win an election as a Republican. Yeah, you know, and it gives the Democrats a bad name. But back before the the, the National Democratic Party completely crapped all over the Democratic brand this past uh, year or two, uh, before that, you know, people used to look at the Democrats as oh, these are the people that are going to help us. And when you have conservatives, when you have Republicans running as Democrats and just being bad legislators. The, it ruins the the branding of of the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party has taken a hard right turn over the last year or two. So, kind of, it kind of fits the mold now, yeah. but it it didn't before. Right. You know, when when five ten years ago, when the Democrats were a little more to the left, they uh they did have policies that that helped people, and it was you know it was nice, and they were you know sure they did shady things, but there was still a, a portion of them that wanted to do things right. You know, and unfortunately, that's that's gone now. And uh, we're going to talk about that uh, in a second uh, as to why that is the way it is, because, um, you know, I get, I get into debates on Twitter and and discussions on Twitter with, with a lot of people, but lately it's been with, with democratic voters. Okay. Really, really interesting dynamic. Uh, You know, Ryan Knight came up with the term blue MAGA, which is exactly what it sounds like. You know, the people who are, who think that politics is a sporting event and that you have your team, you know, in this case, Team Biden, Team Kamala Harris, Team Kamala Harris, sorry. Um, and all these people that you worship. You worship them in the same way that conservatives worship Donald Trump. Same way. And it's it's really unhealthy because when you worship a politician, like, you know, you, we saw it with conservatives for four years with Trump. When you worship a politician like a Biden or a Kamala Harris or whoever it is, you know, Elizabeth Warren or whatnot, when you worship them, that it eliminates the ability to, for you to critique them and find flaws in their, their job, and what they're doing for the people. So like uh, last primary, okay, I, I supported Bernie. I've supported Bernie for a number, number of years. And uh, Elizabeth Warren ran. Now, I, I wish she had run in 2016. That would have been really helpful. And I was very supportive of her running in 2016 b- before uh, Bernie came along, but um, she didn't run okay, fine. Well, she decided to run with every other Democrat this primary, and that's great, but when she took that right turn, when she started going after Bernie, uh, who's supposed to be her friend, and started to come up with these bizarre policies that were not the progressive we expected from her, you know, I, I commented on it. I said, this is this is not cool. This is not the Elizabeth Warren that I knew that, that founded the uh, you know, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau Man. and a lot of other great things. This is not the same person. And you get attacked. You get attacked online for being like sexist or anti-woman. And it's like, are you kidding me? Really? Like, that didn't even cross my mind that she's a woman. Like, I don't care what gender she is at all. At all. Like, I'm very supportive of women. And, and I mean that. Like, like I said, I hoped she ran in 2016. I thought she would actually have a better shot, perhaps, than Bernie, because Bernie wasn't well-known then, and he hadn't really done as much high-profile stuff as Elizabeth Warren had done with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the fact that she just was in the news an awful lot. Uh, but she didn't run. No, It is what it is. But to attack someone... Uh, who's raising fair points that you know are accurate about someone who's a woman and saying that it's all because she's a woman is is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, this that that's a hard thing, but uh, I find that like I ignore those attacks or like when those comments and I just move on because I I try to keep it on policy, on actions, you know, and I think if as long as you like constantly keep it there, don't go personal. Just say this is what is this this is what I'm about. Yeah, because and- I've I've been honestly a criti- a critic of uh. Governor Raimondo for at least eight years, right? Since I started this job, I've been a critic of her various actions, various things she's done. Um, I've also been supportive of some of the things she's done. But for the most part, I've been critical of her because I think her economic ideas and some of her other ideas are, are bad. And I think her way she stacks all the boards and councils in our state are bad. So I'm quite comfortable going after her. But you have to make sure that you understand that you know, people are going to turn around and say, well, you're being sexist, or you're being this or that. And I understand those critiques, and I try to be aware of them. But at the same time, you also have to realize that you know, the policy is what it comes down to. What are the, uh, how does this affect people?
0: Right. right. And, and this is happening also with, uh, with Neera Tanden. Okay? She's up for uh, one of Biden's cabinet positions. Ironically, uh, the budget... Um, position. Now, how ironic is that that Bernie Sanders was made the chairman of the budget committee in the Senate and then his literal arch rival who who absolutely hated on him and shitted on him his entire campaign had nothing nice to say about this guy. Just just trashy critique nonstop about the most favored senator in the whole country. Okay, just relentlessly attacking progressives and just being just just really just not, not a good person. Not a good person. Not someone <laughs> certainly you would want in a government cabinet position. So Neera is obviously getting getting hammered by the left, the real left, rightfully so. And you've got your Blue Maga crew out there, okay, saying, oh, they're attacking her because she's a woman of Asian de- Asian descent, is it? Or Indian descent? Yeah, yeah. It's yes. one of those. I forget what it, what it was. But uh, attacking is saying that's the reason that people are attacking her. She's a woman of color. That's why people are attacking her. Like, all right. Okay. Now- there's, there's a time when someone's clearly attacking someone because of their color. You know, when you, you can't find a flaw in someone, you're just attacking them because of their color. That's not okay, and that's completely different. When someone like Neera Tanden is up for a very important position, you know, a budget position in uh, the administration, and she's been absolutely vile to people who are supposed to be on her team, to progress who supposed to be on her team, the stuff she did at the Center for American Progress, you know, physically attacking people, okay? Outing a whistleblower. I mean, these are just completely disqualifying traits. And yet, not only was she not disqualified, okay? But the Biden administration is trying harder and fighting harder for Nira's confirmation than they are for $15 minimum wage or for $2,000 checks. So that should tell you all you need to know about the Biden administration. Well,
1: this is the um, economics of the time, right? We're we're, tra- we're fighting an economic paradigm and economic theory that is so deeply entrenched. It's like a religion up there. No one ever questions the economic policy, the economic ideas. Like the CBO, right? The um, uh, Congressional Budget Office put out a thing, you know, saying, you know, put out a uh, report on raising minimum wage. That report was not accurate. That report relied on Really spurious studies like way overestimated the impact it would have there's actual good studies now that show what impact on employment for instance and how many people could be raised out of poverty by raising the minimum wage but the CBO came out with a very conservative very wrong-headed report which has been critiqued all over the place not by the right but by the left yeah that's been that's
0: frustrating too and it's it's uh um, unfortunate when A so so so-called nonpartisan panel, like a CBO, uh, makes decisions that are just completely that completely err on the wrong side of of how things actually are in real life.
1: Well, but it's because I think economics, as it's you know class neoclassical economics, isn't really a science; it's a religion. And so you just find what you need to find in the evidence of the world, right? So I know what it has to be. I know that raising the minimum wage must m- lead to massive unemployment, and will actually somehow raising the minimum wage, lifting people out of um, poverty, will hurt those people more than help them somehow. I mean, I've li- i have mean, Pat Morgan said that this week, and uh, Representative Pat Morgan yep. said it this week in House Labor discussing minimum wage. He says, "How do I know that raising minimum wage won't hurt poor people?" How, yeah. give-
0: Since when do you care about poor people,
1: or how how do you justify saying? If I give poor people more money, won't that just hurt them? That's not a sensible thing to say, but we say this as if, right? I mean, because all our theories say somehow this is true,
0: and we've got all these people, especially conservatives, uh, people I know that constantly stick up for business, for big business, stick up for it. You know, Um, they think they they believe that someday they'll be the CEO of a large company. And they want to have the power that these CEOs and, and companies have now. And it's like, wow, what a shock they're in for. Listen, you'll never be the CEO of any of these companies. You'll, you'll never be the CEO of your own business because you have to have common sense to run a good business. And if you can't pay your employees $15 an hour, $15 an hour, which is Bare minimum, okay, because judging by inflation, they should be paid 22 Yep. okay, 22 $23 an hour. If you can't afford to pay your employees $15 an hour, close your business. You don't have a viable business. You do right. not have a viable business, okay? Anyone can start a business and pay their people nothing and then have the business runs and makes a profit. That's easy. That's right. Anyone can do that. You're the, not the special. Country,
1: that's how the country was founded.
0: Right. On slavery. Literally on slavery. Literally yes. on slavery. You're right. My that's business, how we did. It. My business has no labor costs at all because right. it's free.
1: If I could and just figure out a way to get, feed them for nothing, it would be nothing. And conservatives,
0: trust me when I tell you, would love to do that right now. If they could legally do that, they would absolutely try to do that. Yeah. They want to pay you zero dollars an hour, zero, nothing, and keep every last cent. Mm-hmm. The greed is just incredible to me, incredible. I'm a business owner, and I just don't get it. I just don't understand. Like There's a certain level of profit where it's like, okay, I'm good. Let's see if we can help other people. And these people are the opposite mentality. Oh, we've got uh, profit. We need more. We need every last dollar. How much can I shake out of my own people? How much can I steal in wages from my own people? It's so embarrassing. But getting back to the national conversation, I want to touch on this a little bit. Uh, Before we do that, you know, we want to talk about our new segment this week. uh, Well, starting this week, we're going to do a hero of the week and a villain of the week. Steve, tell us about our hero of the week.
2: Well,
1: I know this uh, is a little weird, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think our hero of the week has to be um, Senator Bridget Valverde, who brought an objection to the Senate floor. I think it's really, really hard to walk up and object to the Senate president and say, Senate president, you are wrong. This bill needs to be where it is. Um... I think she showed real political bravery there. You know, when we think of uh, John F. Kennedy and Profiles in Courage, a book he wrote about politicians making difficult but right decisions, right? I think we saw Profiles in Courage here, right? We saw a person come down and say, I'm going to risk my legislative agenda, my standing in the Senate. I'm going to risk all that to say, to make the Senate do the right thing. I think that's really brave. It's the kind of, and it sounds small, but the reason it's so amazing is because these kind of small things almost never happen in our legislature. That's true. Right? It, it seems like, oh, big deal. She walked down, she made an objection. It got shut down. She went back to her seat. No, you don't understand. That is not the way things are done in Rhode Island. That is not the way things are done in the House or in the Senate. There's a pecking order. There's a, and it's like inviolable, vi- viable. The fact that she did this, I thought was really brave, and I want, and that's why I wanted her on the show, and that's why we talked to her. But I think she's definitely the hero of the week.
0: I agree. I agree. And and you know, for people that are you know not familiar with how you know the Senate business works, uh, me and Steve were talking about this uh, off the air earlier. There are political implications for when you you know raise an issue like that. If leadership, especially, is not on your side, um, they get pissed, <laughs> yeah. for lack of a better term, and there's retribution sometimes. Um, there can be you know, retribution. There's... Yes. there's and we discussed this with other uh, representatives and senators in the past on the show. That there seems to be more retribution under Mattiello's house back in the day, back when he was the speaker, than there was under the Senate President. But they're both guilty of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both, you know, do the little, the little uh, you know, retribution things. Former to Speaker Mattiello mind.
1: made a, made a art out of it.
0: He did. He did. <laughs> yeah. It was it was embarrassed to a fault where he just didn't even try to hide it no. at all. It was. He would it was
1: literally bad. say things like, "There will be no retribution," and then exact merciless retribution against everybody who he didn't like yeah yeah you know, he, he was this little liar as well so
0: so, uh, so I completely agree senator Valverde, our first ever hero of the week congratulations um, villain of the week so normally we will be doing a local villain of the week but I think that this villain of the week is especially important to everybody because it affects everyone's lives and that is Joe Biden <laughs> now Joe Biden is a Democrat, and I get a lot of our listeners are Democratic voters. In fact, for 20 years, I voted only for Democratic candidates as well. Okay? Uh, last primary, I voted for Bernie Sanders, and in the general, I voted for Bernie Sanders again. And I know people who listen to this are going, oh my God, Trump could have won. No, first of all, all right, Trump's not going to win Rhode Island. That's number one. Number two, you should require something of the people you vote for, all right? Conservatives are not going to stop running Donald Trump's. Okay, This is not over. Okay, in, in four years, there'll be another Trump running. And then four years after that, there'll be another Trump running. Until the GOP's dead, there's going to be Trump's after Trump's after Trump's because that's what their voters want. Okay, Their voters are, uh, believe that politics is a sporting event and that if uh, the Democrats are losing, they're winning. We know that's not true, but that's the way it is. So getting back to the issue at hand here, Democratic voters did the whole vote blue no matter who. Okay. Well, guess what? You got no matter who. All right. You got Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden ran for president three times in his career. He got blown out the first two. In fact, he got blown out the first three until Barack Obama made some phone calls and everyone dropped out at the exact same time and endorsed the same guy. Democratic voters thought that was totally normal and okay. Progressives, on the other hand, were furious, rightfully so, that the Dems rigged the primary in favor of the worst possible candidate of all the ones that ran. In my opinion. I mean Steve, do do you think there were any worse candidates? Perhaps Bloomberg, maybe, but
1: Oh yeah, Bloomberg for sure.
0: <laughs> but I mean but I mean of of all the what eight or nine that ran, yeah, yeah. Biden was pretty bad.
1: Pretty well, bad. you know, I think yeah, and I and you know, I voted for Biden. <laughs> and I know a lot of people that did. And, yeah. I, and that's fine. You know, I don't I don't I, I should say I people. voted against Trump.
0: Exactly. I'm not mad at people who voted for Biden. Like, I get the fear and all that. But the fact of the matter is, and I told people before the election, you're going to get the same thing from right. Biden. You're just going to get a nicer version of Trump. And people were like, no, 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 that's crazy. It's not true. And then he became president, and guess what? It's all true. So let's let's go over it. I want to explain why he's the villain of the week. All right? I'm not just going to name him and then be like, all right, you guys figure it out. All right, so kids in cages, right? We are yep. all mad about kids in cages under Trump, even though Obama built the cages. But we got all mad under Trump, and rightfully so. Obviously, nobody wants these kids in cages, if they're, especially if they're asylum seekers. They shouldn't be in cages at all. They should have their case heard, and they should, you know, be, there should be a determination. But the fact of the matter is that Trump put them in cages, and Biden took over and built more cages. Okay, didn't he just keep them in the cages, lied to all his voters and said, we're getting rid of the cages day one. Nope. We're going to build more cages.
1: All right. So that's number one. Number two. Which, uh, by the Wolf, way, is probably damning enough to say villain of the week right there. Exactly. I'm just going to say, exactly. There's other things you want to say, but I just want to say right there, that is gross.
0: I just want, I want our listeners who are, you know, whether they're Biden diehards or just, you know, drink the Democratic Kool-Aid and all that stuff. I want them to hear from a a real lefty here. I'm not a conservative at all. Okay. From a real, real lefty, like what, what exactly is happening? Like what, What their guy has actually done since he's become president. So you've got the kids in cages still. That's not ending. Okay, guys, it's never going to happen. The kids will be in cages as long as Guatano Bay is around, all right, which is perpetually forever. So that's one. Number two, uh, help us win the Senate. Get us uh, those two Georgia senators, and on day one, Biden will send out those $2,000 checks. All right, well, bad news. And more bad news. Uh, the first bad news is that those $2,000 checks are not going out right away. Nope. It's uh, almost March and still no checks. And, oh, by the way, there are $1,400 now. Because even though we promised you $2,000, Trump gave you $600. Even though Trump is not us, we're just going to pretend he is us. And so we're going to add it together. And, hey, you got $2,000. See how that works? Yeah, great math. And let's move on. Minimum wage. So minimum wage, uh, Biden came right out and said, oh, no, I don't think we're going to get it. Now, what kind of person who wants to get minimum wage passed says that? Okay, You don't say that. You say, we're going to fight our hardest, like Bernie's been doing. Fight our hardest. We will get to this. This will be passed. We will, we will get this done. That's what Bernie's saying, but Biden is not saying that. Biden does not support a $15 minimum wage. So um, he gets on and says that. And then the Senate parliamentarian ruled yesterday that, wrong, by the way, because when Republicans were in power, they ruled that far more reaching Um, decisions were in fact covered under reconciliation. But they voted, Yet the parliamentarian ruled yesterday that uh, the $15 minimum wage is not eligible for reconciliation. Now, the good news is that it's not a binding decision. Vice President Kamala Harris can override this decision and get it into reconciliation. So she has not done that yet. She has not signaled whether she will. But here's the thing. To the Democratic voters listening to this right now, please just listen to this. If Kamala Harris does not reverse that decision, does not endorse the $15 minimum wage. It's over, guys. It's over, all right? The Democrats are going to get their asses kicked in two years in the midterms. They're going to get obliterated, absolutely obliterated. And in four years, you're going to lose the presidency. That's what happens when you don't do anything for the
1: people. And that's my fear, is that they still haven't learned a lesson of Hillary Clinton. They still haven't learned the lessons of not doing enough, right? And so if we don't do enough, we are going, or we don't, we, we, if we don't do more than enough, right, this $15 minimum wage, I mean, honestly, if they wanted to raise it nationally to 12, you know, make a compromise or something, whatever. But right now it's at like seven something, right? Okay. Yep. Yep.
0: yep. So, so that's, so that's, it minimum just can't wage. be that. Yeah, exactly, and, and it's funny because some of the Republican senators like Mitt Romney had come out and said, oh, we'll do a compromise bill, which is a joke bill. Yeah. It's like raise it to $10 over five years. Like these cheapskates, man.
1: 50 cents a year. Oh,
0: my God, what cheapskates? I know. Listen, if you own a business and you can't pay your people $15 an hour, you're a cheapskate, okay? You're You're, you're not worse. a patriot. Right. You're not trying to save on your taxes and being you know an individualist and all that stuff. You're a cheapskate.
1: We have to decide, what is a business for? Is a business to make one guy really rich? Or is a business there to employ a lot of people so that we all rise together? Right? That is what we have to understand. We've decided that ownership of a business is such a great entitled position that you are entitled to everything from it. And in fact, owning a business is a responsibility. You have entered into a compact with society to say, I am going to employ my people. I'm going to give the people who work for me money. I'm going to make sure they have good lives. They can raise their families comfortably. If you can't do that, you don't have a business plan. You have an exploitation plan. You might as well be, you might as well be a pimp, right? Just to, seriously. And I'm not even kidding. You might as well basically be enslaving people, forcing them to work for you. You're, you're, no, you're no better than a trafficker, in my mind, if you can't pay your people properly. Yep, yep. That's, that's all it is.
0: The last thing I want to touch on with Biden, again, I want to give our listeners lots of reasons why he's a villain. Not just one, <laughs> not just two. I want to give you lots of reasons. So you understand. You understand that he's a, he's, a, he's a damn villain. That's the bottom line. The last thing, environmental. So uh, this was before I think he was actually elected. Um, maybe I'm wrong. It was before his inauguration. But uh, people had come out and said, you know, are you, you're going to ban fracking. And, of course, his how conservatives are smart, the way they do it. And Democrats always fall for it. Every time they fall for it, conservatives will say, oh, my God, you're going to ban fracking. And they, and they frame it in a way like, oh, my God, you're going to do this thing that, that everyone wants and you're just going to get rid of it. And they frame it that way. And, de- and, and people like Biden always take the bait and fall for it. And he immediately said, I'm not ban- banning fracking. Oh, no, absolutely. Let's, we want fracking. We want that. Are you crazy? Dude. The earth's dying. Okay. You just got the trifecta. You got Congress. You got the presidency. Okay. What are you doing? You have a chance to really make a dent in, in climate change. And you come out and say, you know, not only are we, you know, not going to ban fracking, but I'm all for it. Let's, let's more fracking. Let's do it, you know. And so my point here is that all you people that voted uh, against Trump, you know, for Biden or whatever, you didn't demand anything for your vote. You didn't, you didn't say, like, listen, Biden, we, we know Trump's a bad guy, but we're not just going to let you off the hook here and vote you in. We want to see concessions. You're going to do X, Y, Z, everything like that. Now, Biden is not a very bright guy. What he could have done is just lied and said, we're going to do all this great stuff, you know, like Obama did. Obama lied to everybody. We're going to do all this great stuff. And then when he got elected, did nothing, nothing. He passed his health care plan, which ended up being watered down by Republicans so much that it was just basically a gift to Blue Cross and Blue Shield, United Healthcare, Aetna, and so on and so forth. A huge gift to them, and they appreciate it. Thank you very much, President Obama. So that's why uh, Biden is the villain of the week. I hope, I hope, you know, I'm not rooting for him to fail, uh, at least not at progressive policies. I hope his conservative policies fail miserably, and he looks embarrassed for it. But I hope his progressive policies, if he bothers to come up with any, uh, do succeed. And like I said, you know, to our Democratic diehards that are listening, pay very close attention to the $15 minimum wage uh, issue here. If the vice president does not overrule that through con- reconciliation, that she can do. She can do that. She does not need Republican support. She does not need anyone's permission. She can just do that. And then, ta-da, it's in reconciliation. So the bottom line is if she doesn't do that, you know, forget about Joe Manchin and uh, the senator out of uh, Arizona, um, I forget her name off the top of my head. Oh, Chris Cinema? Cinema, Chris Cinema, yeah.
1: yeah Cinema.
0: Uh, forget those two. Okay, forget them for now, okay? You, you fight, okay? You don't assume they're going to vote no. You just say, we're going to vote yes, and we're going to put it out there and make them vote against a $15 minimum wage. Make them do it, okay? But if you don't see that happen, if you don't see her reverse that, that tells you all you need to know about the next four years, okay? Voters are not stupid. I know we like to call conservatives stupid, all right? But the fact is they can recognize bullshit, Okay. Anyone can recognize bullshit. And when they see, wow, they promised $15 an hour and didn't deliver. That's really bad when you had every opportunity to do so.
1: And don't forget, it is our responsibility when we vote for someone to hold them accountable, to make sure that we, your job doesn't end at the voting booth. Your job never ends. You're a part of this democracy. You're a part of ruling this world. You have to get in there and you have to roll up your sleeves and you've got to fight for everything you want. Because believe me, the other side is, right? The big corporations, they're getting what they want. You know, the businesses, they're getting what they want. You know, when we did uh, all that, billions of dollars came into Rhode Island to help our economy, that went to businesses. Yep. didn't go to you. Yep. you didn't know how much of that money did you see? What, you, how mu- what are your bills looking like? You know, you're, go- you're getting poorer and poorer. And those businesses, they're going to be fine. They're, they're going to whine and complain and say, oh, business is down and blah, 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 blah. But in the end, when this is all over, they're going to be fine. And you're going to have all these bills. And you're going to say, how did I get so in debt? You got in debt because the government didn't help you out. Right? Because the government... Bailed out the rich, and left you hanging. And that's what's been going on forever, and it's going to continue to hold up happen unless you get in there and fight, fight for 15, f- fight for criminal justice reform, fight for Black lives, fight for women's rights because they are all on the table all the time. And
0: and hold your officials accountable. You know, before the election, I know there's not an election around the corner, but the next election, don't please stop with the b- vote in blue no matter who. Just stop that nonsense. Like make these people earn your vote. Make them earn your vote. The Republicans are always going to put up the worst horrible person ever. That's just how it's going to be. It's never going to change until the party's gone. It's never going to change. So you can't do this whole, oh, my God, vote for worst Democrat ever because even worst Republican is his opponent. That's just not – it's not sustainable,
1: okay? And run yourself. Just get out there
0: and run. And and if you run yourself, run as an independent. Try it out. Run as an independent because – you know, people people give independence a shot, you know. If you're a good candidate, and I've said this before on the show, if you're a good candidate, you don't need to run as a Democrat or a Republican. You just don't need to. Why why give up thirty to forty percent of your votes right off the bat? Right off the bat. You start you run as a Democrat, guess what? Thirty to forty percent of the electorate is not voting for you, no matter how awesome you are. Just not happening. And if you're a Republican, you run as a Republican, you've lost forty to fifty percent of the vote in Rhode Island, at least right off the bat. Why would you do that to yourself? It just, it blows my mind. But if you want to run, uh, get in touch with with Steve or the Rhode Island Political Co-op and and just consider running as an independent because the Democratic Party, National Democratic Party is destroying the brand of the Democratic Party, destroying it. And when you attach yourself to that brand as a progressive, it erodes your value as well.
1: Well, I just want to say that locally, maybe that might, may or may not be as true. You know, you have to run is what you have to do. And you have to win. You have good people. More important than party politics is a good person, right? All the uh, people who are uh, in the the co-op, for instance, are all run as Democrats.
0: That is is true. And I hope that that changes. I really do. Because I hope that the Democratic Party is, in my opinion, not salvageable. The National Democratic Party has run this party into the ground. I mean, into the ground. People, I think a survey... A week or two ago, it said like something like 60 percent of voters are clamoring for a viable third party. Sixty percent. And I was previously a supporter of the People's Party, a new third party. that had gotten a lot of traction. But unfortunately, the People's Party made some really stupid decisions over the last month, uh, basically claiming that they want to be Democrat light. They don't want to be a progressive organization. They want to be Democratic light. And so so that, that party like, just destroyed itself overnight. The Green Party, um, again, I agree with a lot of their ideology, a lot of their policy, but they don't seem to want to actually win elections. You know, in Rhode Island, in the last election, they actually pulled their candidate off so that uh, he would interfere with votes for Biden. Um, I voted for Bernie Sanders instead. You know, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't do anything to earn my vote. And, and that's the bottom line. And you can be mad at me for all you want, but I'll end up being right in the, in the end and that you'll see that Biden and Trump are virtually the same person. Yeah, there's, there's uh, stuff here and know, there. I, I, there's stuff here and there, Steve. Yeah, okay, you know on the on the yeah. fringes, you know the LGBT rights and things like that that he'll yeah, appear to be more friendly for sure. Right. But there are so many things. Looking at the the real nuances, there's so many little rules and executive orders that Trump passed. Okay, that he has not shown any interest in rescinding yet.
1: And, and I and I get all that and I and I'm good with the critique. I just want to say that, like you know, Trump and Biden are not the same person. I mean, the, the LGBT thing is not a small deal right? Trans, I mean, yesterday, trans, trans rights are human rights. That comes right down from the top, right? That is not something that Trump was ever going to say. And if, in a Trump presidency stretched out for the next 10 years, trans people could be in concentration camps or even forced medicalization, right? I mean, literally Nazi kind of stuff. What, so just, you know, I know, I understand, but I just want to make sure that the equivocation isn't so strong, in my mind anyway, not to, you know, jump on your opinions, but in my mind, there are important differences and. uh, Good, and that's why, and, I, and I'm just that's why I think at least we can reason somewhat, we can force certain good policies. Like you said, we may be able to still force some kind of minimum wage compromise, right? That Who was knows? impossible, that Who was knows? impossible Who under Trump. I mean, you know, the, the thing with me is that, you know,
0: if you look at Biden's history, his track record in the Senate for the yeah. 40 or 50 years, whatever, it was very conservative. Okay, this guy bragged about passing his crime bill that put so many black bodies in in prison. So many, and he bragged about that. And then, you know, even now, bragging about supporting fracking. And so I agree with you, Steve. There are certainly issues, you know, especially on the platitude front. You know, you want to hear someone talk up a good game. You know, I support LGBT rights, and I support this, and I support that, and I support this. The Democrats are your party. Okay, they will tell you anything you want to hear. But as far as doing it, I want to wait and see. I want to see what he's actually done because he's been president for two months, and it's been a massive disappointment so far. Okay, his approval rating is like... 52% 52% or 53%, something like that, which is very low for a honeymooning president, for a president that just got elected. And Obama's, Obama's approval rating was through the roof when he was first elected.
1: Yeah, I don't know that we could expect um, a Biden candidate, a Biden presidency to have high, super high approval ratings. I think he was the, you know, if you're not Trump is your, is your campaign slogan, more or less. You know, not Trump. And, uh, you know, that's, and then the election was still, Yep. Super stupidly close. Yep. You know, yep. not Trump option. The I only mean,
0: reason that he won, and he knows this, is because of COVID. Trump screwed up COVID so bad that even, you know, the most right-wing people who are open, have open open minds, said, you know what? No, no, we're not going to do this again. That and, does scare and, me a little and bit. And voted for Biden. So, yeah, when you look at, you know, people look at, you know, of course, the conservatives are going to look at, wow, Trump almost won. <laughs> if Trump ran against Bernie Sanders, let's be honest, he would have got his Ass kicked. I mean, blown out, blown out. Biden was close because he had nothing to offer. Okay. He was simply not Trump. So the fact that not Trump ran against Trump and almost lost to Trump says all you need to know about that candidate. The Democrats have run a lot better presidential candidates in the past. They weren't perfect. Um, You know, they've done bad things, but they were better than this. And you try to improve. Each iteration you try to improve. And what they did in 20, um, 2020 was not an improvement right. at all. And it's just, it's a shame because you look back at almost a year ago, uh, Bernie had won, clearly had won the first three primary contests. And nobody's ever done that and lost the nomination. And the party worked overnight. And I, I mention this because it's important to think about how hard the party worked. To stop Bernie Sanders from being the candidate. Right. I mean, they pulled out all the stops. Obama made phone calls. They went on the press. They got the MSNBC and CNN behind them. The whole bit. They did. The, they invented the Bernie bro nonsense on Twitter. It was a full out assault to sink him, and it worked. Now, why will they not put that same energy towards passing $15 minimum wage, or to getting you out $2,000 checks? You know, if they wanted to move mansion and cinemas votes they could absolutely do that absolutely do that okay but they don't want to do that you know it's all about looking like they're trying to help you without actually helping you and it pains me to say all this stuff with local candidates like you said steve that run as democrats who i love and, our,
1: and good people uh,
0: absolutely uh, sam bell's great person um mm-hmm. senator tiara mack uh, i've never met her in person but having talked to her yeah, she's uh, many times great person Okay, And it pains me that they run as Democrats. And I've told Sam myself, I'm friendly enough with Sam that I could mention it to him and say, it just kills me that you run as a a Democrat. And he believes that the Democratic Party can be reformed. Maybe locally, maybe, if we keep running people, we can definitely, because the thing is, our local Democratic candidates, the ones that ran last election and won, were so good. They're so good. They're not just better than who was there. They're phenomenal in their own right.
1: And I think that's the, I think if you talk to Sam, that's what he would say, Sam Bell. He would say, That's the future of the Democratic Party. You know, That his idea has always been, for as long as I've known him, which might be like 10 years now, which is crazy, he's always said that the way forward is to save the Democratic Party. I don't know if that's true, and I know you disagree, but I think that's been been the motivation behind what they're trying to do. I don't know if it's possible. I know you don't think it is, but at the same time, uh, Sam's a smart guy. He's not a guy who's just going to waste his time. I, you know, maybe he's wrong. Maybe he'll fail or maybe this movement will fail. But it's a, I think that's the other side of this, right, is that people like Janine Culkin, you know, David Morales, Tiara Mack, I, I don't know what they think about this subject per se, but I, I think they're thinking we can have a better Democratic Party than what we have now, at least in Rhode Island. I don't know about nationally, but at least in Rhode Island we can do that. And then maybe we can be an example to the rest of the world. I know the political co-op is an example to the rest of America. Right?
0: Absolutely it is. The, the political co-op is not so much an example of how the Democratic Party is, is a good party. It's how progressive candidates right. are great candidates. Right. And like I said before, I, I certainly can appreciate that our local people that we love uh, run as Democrats. But I also you know, warn them, the national party is wrecking your brand it is wrecking your brand when you see the democrats going out of their way to not help people nationally okay because that's clearly what's happening they're not even trying to hide it and then you run as a democrat locally there are people especially you know newsies that have cnn on all day or msnbc or whatever fox news on all day that say wow oh you're running as a democrat i can't vote for you i don't care about your policies or whatever i just can't vote for you or a democrat and why why harm yourself like that i, yeah. I don't quite understand
1: Although need. I have to say that I know plenty of people who are—I can't vote for you. You're a Republican, <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: No, and that's my, I, exactly and maybe my point. With more my exactly my point is that we have these yeah. tribes now. We have a tribal mentality in the country where you're a Republican, or I don't want to hear from you, or you're a Democrat, I want to hear from you, and that's why I recommend people run as independents. You don't have that that stigma. There's yeah. no stigma there. I'm running as an independent now. Granted, in Rhode Island, a lot of independents are really conservatives, yeah, who know they can't win as Republicans. So they run as an independent, but they're not independent at all. They're they're farther right than a lot of the Republicans are. Yeah. So, you know, make be running as an independent and then making sure people know right away, listen, I'm a progressive, okay? I am not, I'm not a moderate. I'm not like some left, some right. I am a progressive. I don't want to be associated with either party, okay? Because I think both parties have problems. And here's what I want to do to make your life better. Yeah. And if I ran for office, which I won't, but if I did, I would absolutely run as an independent, okay? I don't need NGP Van. I just don't, you know? The obsession with NGP Van, which is why... Uh, it's this database that has all the voter information basically, and it's why a lot of democratic candidates claim to run as Democrats because they want access to that that voter database but uh, it, it it it's shocking to me that candidates feel they cannot win without this software. Well, the
1: last person that I know of, and I might be wrong, but I know Blake Flippy ran as an independent when he first ran and won um, in the uh, general Assembly, right He's now the minority leader and a solid republican so that independence only goes so far when you're actually in the mix and then suddenly you find yourself uh, if I'm a republican I get a lot more power a lot more access and now he might be running for governor in a year and a half two years <laughs> right <laughs> so just to, just as a thought you know that independence gets you so far in politics and then suddenly you got to say wait, wait wait a minute I can't do this alone it's not a, it's not like a the lone frontier I'm not the lone ranger here I got I need the backing of powerful politicians and other pol- other Voters, I mean not voters, other legislators, to get my agenda through, and suddenly and you find yourself uh, compromising, like, you know, compromising
0: your positions.
1: You have to, right? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, democracy is compromise, right? I mean, we, there's times you win and times you lose. It sucks, right? Because especially if you're like me and you know you're right on everything. Well,
0: <laughs> well, I think the, the, the issue I have a lot of this is that the, both parties are the right. Okay, so the compromise is always giving the right what they want.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, I think and that's, that's, a problem.
0: that's not a compromise. So, you know, when both parties are to the right, like, all right, you're going to compromise. You're a Democrat or whatever. You're going to compromise, but you're just going to give to the right position is what you're doing. And I, I don't my, – my feeling is that, you know, being an independent washes the need of, of any of that stuff. And, like, I'm going to be on my own. Like, like Bernie Sanders is an independent, okay? Now, granted, he's gotten a little too close to the Democratic Party for my liking over the last year. <laughs> uh, he even went so far as to go on TV and say, yeah, we're going to give them – 1400 dollar checks. You remember the 600 from before and 1400 now and like my heart just like popped out of my body for a minute and said what just
1: happened. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing. Right? But that's the,
0: exactly Steve, that's the thing when you're a Democrat, when you caucus with the Democrats, when you assign yourself and attach yourself to the Democrats, you have to bend the knee.
1: But at the same time, if you were an independent and or acting as an independent and just like jumped out and said, "Ah, 2000 no matter what, she's not going to get that." There's a, there's a real world in which you, like, you just get shaved. You get worn down. You know, you got to – it's like, what are you going to do? You say, well, you get 1,400. You no, know, it comes to a point. It's like your mom. You'll take 1,400 or nothing. You're like, all right, I'll take the 1,400. Mom, jeez. <laughs> you know, it's like
0: no, I, I hear you on yeah. that. It's it's just about I think people on the left, uh, Democratic voters settle too often. Yeah, we they give up settle. too easily for sure. And and I think they should they should try a lot harder because um, they're right. A lot of their policy initiatives are on the right side of history. They absolutely yeah. are, and they're scientifically backed, and they're backed by studies, and they're backed by everything else. And um, you know, don't compromise your positions. You know, just if you know you're right and your stance is backed backed by uh, whether it be a study or whatever, then fight for it. Then yeah. fight for it and say, listen, I'm not going to compromise on this. This is, this is how it should be. And, and that's unfortunate because, like I said, I wish we had a real left. I wish the Democratic Party was the progressive left and the conservatives could be whatever they want, you know, the far right or the right or whatever. Uh, and then you could have compromise. You could say, like, we want this, you want this, let's see what we can do. But when both parties are, really want the same thing more or less uh, in a lot of issues, okay, especially financial issues. Corporate power. It becomes it becomes a problem, and when the people uh, when the people stand up and, and fight and, and break the status quo, you see things uh, collapse. Uh, the power structures that keep this crap in place, you see it collapse like very quickly. I mean, let's just you know, I to end the show in a minute, but just use the GameStop uh, stock thing as an example. <laughs> Okay, so not to get into how stocks work and everything like that, but basically a couple of hedge funds had bet that GameStop stock would go to zero, essentially, that the, the company would go out of business. And so a bunch of people on Reddit uh, with money, okay, these are not little, you know, kids with $1,000 accounts, these are people with money, uh, said, you know what, we're going to bid this up, and we're going to just hold and not sell, and we're going to bid this up like crazy. And what happened was when they did that, uh, the short sellers got what's called a margin call, which means your broker says, listen, you got to pay up, you owe uh, more money than your bet is worth on this, st- on this short sell, and you've got to cover. You have to put up cash collateral right now. And so Melvin Capital, I believe, had to get a multi-billion dollar loan overnight from Citadel, another hedge fund, uh, in order to stay afloat. So you've got these giant, my point is you've got these giant companies, you've got these giant hedge funds and all that stuff, and all it took was the people coming together just one day, okay, one or two days it was, just coming together and saying we're not going to have this and we're going to stand together and fight, and they, they nearly bankrupt a hedge fund in, in one day. So you know, a lot of these, these power structures guys are paper tigers, they really are. I think you're seeing that in the Statehouse too. You know, when, when the uh, like the vote for um, Bridget's motion, okay, yeah. a year ago, that would have been what, 35 to 3 or 35 to 2, oh, whatever? It would,
1: it, would have, it would have been... It would have been blown out. It would have been pointless to make that objection.
0: Yep. And now you look at the scoreboard and it was like, wow, there's like 12, 11, 12, so many people yeah, that... 17 that, that, to 21. 17. It was 17 people that said, uh, yes, we want to put this through. So that's really exciting to see. And I hope that... Uh, the progressive movement you know gets stronger next election. We yeah, can we run t- people against the really bad legislators that are there that just don 't want to do anything to help people. They just want to continue to maintain their power and rule over people 's lives and just you know and keep the status quo cool. so um Steve, have you anything else to add to? I think this
1: show has gone on long enough <laughs> right we're at, we're at
0: an hour and fifteen minutes of of rambling on. Well, I hope it's- people find the uh, discussion enjoyable no. Well, Uh, If you have feedback, for example, if you hate our show, um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Write to podcast at rifp.co. If you love the show, same email address. (laughs) Email us. Let us know what you like, what you want to see, any guests you want to have on. Uh, We'll try and uh, cater to what you you guys are looking for. Uh, You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all those um, podcast services. Support our show if you'd like to support our show. If you love our show, want us to continue doing it, or you just like Uprise RI, go to our website, upriseRI.com, click donate, and uh put some money in Steve's pocket. Yeah. Uh tune into our sister podcast, Can We Fix It, with Maura Walsh and Jennifer Douglas, Fridays at 12 p.m. on Uprise RI. Parental discretion is advised. For the latest news on Rhode Island politics, climate change, activism, all that good stuff, visit upriseri.com. Steve, it's been a pleasure to have you this week,
1: as yeah, so always. This has been great. This is great. I've been really enjoying this. We're going to try to get some uh, interesting guests next week. Don't What's know who plan? it'll be yet, but it's going to be good.
0: What's the plan for this week's news? <laughs> what do you got coming up? Anything uh, that we should know about? Any any planned stories? Any secret investigative files opened?
1: Uh, let me think. No, not yet. But we're going to definitely be doing some stuff on the uh, Sergeant Hanley case. Yes. Soon enough. Yes. There's, right. been, uh, some that, there's been some more developments some trial stuff. I don't usually go to trials because it's time consuming and difficult but if you're reading other news reports it's really amazing what's being said there um so we'll try to get into that so awesome All yeah, right,
0: guys well that's our show for this week tune in next week i uh, hope to see you then thanks everybody and have a great week take care